We have quite a few questions in here. So what I would do is I'll answer this question first. If I have time, I will answer last time's questions left and answer. So the first question is, Sir, would you please explain the significance of the use of the wooden paddle before and during meditation? The wooden paddle, we call that the wooden plank. Are you referring to the wooden uh, plank, the wooden plank that we use during the meditation? Because we have Lee, the invigilator, uh, carrying the, the, the wooden plank surrounding and going um, in the surround, a circumambulating. The purpose of that, what you call wooden plank, is to put everybody on guard. In other words, if, if, if you're meditating, and if he finds that you are sleeping, you are, you are like that, sleeping and like that, and he will put the paddle on your shoulder, then you know that you have to straighten up. And that is to guide you, your body, in the right position. Um, and also, that's also used for the inner circle if you are not walking quickly, because the inner circle is supposed to be walking very quickly. And the, um, the invigilator, um, or the warden, we call it the warden. The warden uh, sometimes would yell out, walk faster, walk faster. If you don't walk faster, then the warden would put the wooden plank on your shoulder, saying that you're not walking fast enough. So if you're not walking fast enough, you have to go to the outer circle. So that wooden plank is to guide, instead of, instead of speaking, is to guide you to make sure that you are not drowsy, you're not sleeping, you're not um, if you're not adjusting your body, for example, if you're not crossing your leg in the right way, then that wooden plank is going to correct you with a wooden plank. He, he shouldn't be using a hand to touch you, because how can... Nobody can touch anybody during, during meditation, especially if you have a male. How can a male be, say, adjusting your shoulder and all that? He shouldn't be touching you, but if you use a wooden plank, then that wooden plank is used as a medium to teach you what to do. So that's the purpose of the wooden plank. And also, the wooden plank also will produce a sound. So when you hear that, uh, when you hear I hit the wooden fist, dog one time, and then at the same time, the wooden plank, all the wooden planks will be bang, banging on the floor showing that we're all invigilating, we're all being aware, to create that awareness in you, to sometimes to create that authority in you, saying that you can't just do what you want in a meditation hall. There's a lot of rules and regulations. So you have to go by the regulations, and there are wardens around keeping you in line, keeping you in regulation. You can't sleep, you can't be drowsy, otherwise you're wasting your time. In a meditation hall, no one is allowed to waste his time. We have wasted enough time already. Um, death is coming up. 
death is confronting you. When would death be coming? If you are 30 years old, you think death will be coming when you are 90? For another 60 years? You're 30 year old now, you think that death is going to come in 60 years? You are, you, are, you, are, you are 40 years old now, you think death is going to come at 50 years later? Death is going to come at any time. Death is only, the, the distance between you and death is only what? By a breath, by one breath. If the breath doesn't continue, you're not you. So if you squeeze your nostrils, and how long can you hold it? If you, if you use a, a cloth pack to, to squeeze your nose, and you want to how long can you tolerate, you time yourself. But don't play with fire. You may not come back again. If you squeeze your nose, you can't breathe, you're gone. Because you don't have oxygen to your brain, then you're gone. So death is actually so close. So when we're meditating, why are we meditating on a breath? Do you know now? Why do we want to concentrate on a breath and no, nothing else? What is the most important movement in your body? Spontaneously. That you can feel. I would say the closest to you, maybe as, similarly as close to you as breath, is your heart palpitation your heart palpitates. But sometimes you can't feel it. And as a matter of fact, sometimes when a person dies, his heart still works. His, still, his, still, his or her starts to work for a while. And even if you lose your breath, you don't, you don't have oxygen in your mind, in your brain, if your heart continues to palpitate, and if somebody use a, a resurrection on you, a suscitation on you. He may bring you back, but you may have the brain damaged in a certain way. So heart is not as, as, as important to you as your breath. When you don't have a breath, so breath is the most important, and that means death is coming any time. The closest to you, the most vital to you is your breath. Watch your breath. The breath is very important. And if you meditate on your breath, you will attain samadhi. You will attain the peacefulness of mind if you continue to do that. Now, that's apart from that question of wooden plank. The wooden plank is to guide you in your practice. It's to produce the sound to exercise the authority to somehow scare you into line. Um, that's very important because if we have 20 wardens in here. If at the same time they put the plank on the floor, that would produce a thunderous sound. And that sound is not, is very effective because you know that if you're not going to do it, you will be driven out. In a meditation hall, if you don't follow the regulations, if you don't really practice, they want you to leave. You can't stay there sleeping. You can't stay there idling. We cannot idle our time, our life away anymore. Have you idled enough time in your lifetime? You can spend five or six hours listening to radio, spending your time on a YouTube on unnecessary information, and you spend five hours on it, the whole day on it. You get addicted to it, but you cannot even stand 15 minutes to meditate.
you see how how human beings uh, should deserve going to the reincarnation and life and death they don't look at the spiritual side of life they only look at the sensations the sensation side of life they only want satisfaction for their senses when you look at the monitor for for information that they shouldn't be looking at they attach to it one hour has gone by second hour third hour they even have tiring eyes and it, it affects them so much that they submerge into it they get addicted to it they can't sleep and yet if you told them get peace of mind by meditation even for 15 minutes 20 minutes can you do that or render voluntary work to to render your compassion to voluntary organizations for one hour can you do it or helping out your friends to study for half an hour can you do it you can't do that you, you, you don't want to render your compassion you want to be egoistic in you that's not the way to go you should change that lifestyle that lifestyle doesn't work for you that's why you roll in reincarnation life after death life after death life after life okay that's the first question I don't want to linger on for too long for this question second question is why was loud music allowed to be played last week Saturday during the senior ceremony I don't think it's a good it's good way to teach old people Buddhism well I don't think you got the right message when you teach somebody you got to teach them at the right time and also before you teach you really have to send out the message that come come to join us this is there's something interesting in here come to join us that's in Buddhism what we call the expedient skillful means of educating people imagine if you have a whole group of kids of kindergarten it's right over there they don't want to come to you they're playing in the playground sand and there's some there's some sand molds in there it's a dangerous place for them there's nails in there it's a construction site and you found a thousand kids playing on a construction site with nails and and sand and dangerous stuff in there and you want them to come close to you to be away from danger you want this kindergarten you want these kids to come to you so that you can give them the message how do you do it you say here is buddhism this is the four noble truth the eightfold path they don't even know what you're talking about this is emptiness this is uh, uh, Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva look at the beauty of Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva they don't want to come to you however if you say hey kids here's a lot of cookies for you <laughs> a lot of cookies and a lot of candies and a chocolates do you want this chocolates do you want all these cookies and honeys and all that you want they'll be flocking to you you must obtained expedient way to entice sentient beings to listen to the message that's what we call expedient skillful means that's exactly what we're doing you don't know our underlying uh, wholeheartedness you don't know our underlying compassion we even give the compassion ex at the expense of you superficially criticizing us for doing the wrong thing <laughs> We, however we can stand it we have the tolerance to tolerate the most pressure to us 
for doing the best thing on earth. Because you have, you have, when you look at something, don't look at the superficial meaning. Look at the underlying principle behind it. There's a lot of reason for doing it. So on that Senior Citizens Day, you know what they do? We have a band for them. <laughs> we have live music for them. And you know what? We, we, we held that uh, ceremony, that party, just in July. Back in January, they already asked for the tickets. <laughs> oh, we enjoyed last year. And, oh, you enjoyed last year? Yeah, I really like the temple. And, and, and some of our staff asked, oh, you like the temple? Yes. And uh, so how do you find the temple? I love the temple. Sometimes I come, but I really love the, the, uh, the Senior Citizens Day. That's the reason why I come to the temple. <laughs> and I always dream to come again on that Senior Citizen Day. So they come again, they love the temple. And after the Senior Citizens Day, they come back again. And this time is different. They buy the incense. They come peacefully to the shrine and they prostrate and sometimes they listen to the lectures. They have lunch. That's the skillful, expedient way of attracting people who they will never listen to you in the first attention if you say, come for the Buddhism. <laughs> come for emptiness. <laughs> Do you know that you get the reason? And we even go to the trouble of spending a lot of money. But fortunately, we got supported by a lot of people. The, the live band is free. And also, you know what they are singing? They are singing nostalgic songs. And what is the content of the song? The, the, the con, some of the content of the song is about memory, about love in families, about many things, filial piety, and it, 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 it reminds them of the past. When it reminds them of the past, some of them cry. Oh, when I was young, I listened to Elvis Presley singing, uh, uh, singing um, uh, Love Me Tender. <laughs> oh, that's really nice, Love Me Tender. At that time, I was a teenager, and how I remorse spending those time doing nothing. Now I come to the temple now, I know how to learn. See? So... That's how we educate people. You don't use one way. There's so many ways leading to room. If you say, no, this is the music way. We don't want music to be leading to room. You know the magic of music? Music has compassion in it. Music has an art. Music is soothing. Music leads you to nirvana in a lot of cases. The best enlightenment music can lead you to peacefulness. However, don't attach to it. You know music is good for you, but you don't attach to it. If, if, if you are being attracted to the music and you attach to it, then you get another Mara, the Mara of music attachment. So, that answers that question. Next time you won't criticize that anymore because you know. You know our underlying principle is to enlighten, not to entertain. In the early, we already have this for 25 years. In the early four or five occasions, I was asked to come out to sing too. And I did. But as you become a monk, you don't want to be involved in singing anymore. 
I only sing the Buddhist chant, so I'm, I didn't come out. You know how I learned singing? Because of this ceremony. I started to learn singing because I know that two, two weeks later I have to face 1,000 seniors. I want to sing a good song. So I practice. I practice singing, then I become a good singer in the chanting of the Buddhist music. So one way affects the other. Okay, that's enough for the first question, the second question. The third question, I have a friend who has hinted of thinking of taking suicide. What is the Buddhist position on this type of action um, taken or contemplated? What words of wisdom can you offer to someone who hears this from another person pers uh, or friend? This person is also <clears throat> seeking professional help at this time. Well, committing suicide um, is equivalent to taking a life. Um, if, you, if you murder someone, if you kill an animal, if you kill someone, according to the Buddhist teaching, you're committing a, a parajika, a very basic, very serious offense. A parajika, P-A-R-A-J-I-K-A. A, -A, -A. a parajika, that means it is an offense that like if you have taken the precepts, if you're a monk, if you're a nun, if you, com if you committed killing, you committed parajika. A parajika, a para, that means having your head chopped off um, or being defeated by Mara. So in other words, if a monk or a nun or someone who has taken the full precept, uh, the, uh, the ordination precepts, if he or she committed this parajika offense, it's equivalent to that he has taken his head off. That means he cannot join the Sangha order anymore. That is the most serious offense. So if you committed the parajika, then not only, not, not only that you have committed the most serious offense, you have to pay for it in your retribution in your, in your next life or in the present life. So if you, are, if you have committed suicide by taking your own life, it's equivalent to killing or murdering a person you would go for the retribution. And that immediate retribution could be go down to hell, to go down to inferno, because you committed the most serious offense. And also, when you are taking your own life, when you committed suicide, it also depends on, at the juncture of death, your thought, your, your consciousness. If at that consciousness, you are full of hatred, you are full of anger and rage, uh, revenge, that thought may pull you down to the, to the hell realm. You will be suffering in hell. Because when you are taking your own life away at that time, you did it with rage. You, uh, you, you did it with, uh, with, 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 with uh, uh, a detestation of the world. You don't like the world. You hate, your, you hate your own life. There's a lot of hatred in it. If there's a lot of hatred in it, where would you go? You could, you, you, go in the, you could go in the animal ram. You could go in the a poisonous snake ram. So the animal ram, there's a lot of suffering in there, or infernal. So you shouldn't be, if you are committing suicide, there's a lot of con consequences behind it. Um, and also, why do you want to commit suicide? Because you had it enough. You had suffered enough. You don't want any more. 
You want to end this valuable life of yours because you think that you have suffered enough. There's no meaning in life anymore. But the fact that you are suffering, you go through the suffering, is not without a reason, according to the causation philosophy, dependent on orig origination. You must have cultivated some causes in this life or in previous life that retribute you for wanting to commit suicide or suffering now. Now, if you take your life away, taking your life away, you think you can stop the suffering? The suffering will continue in your next life. And, and, and sometimes to, to practitioners, they practice Buddhism zealously, conscientiously, and they still have suffering. But once they have gone through this suffering, it's just like they have gone through the threshold of suffering, it subsides, and then they go to the Pure Land. Uh, there was a true story mentioned in uh, in Xuan Zhang Fa Si Da Tang Xi Yu Ji, the the journal of going to the West by Xuan Zhang, uh, the, the monk who traveled from China in the Dang Dynasty about one thousand years ago to India to study and translate Sutra. His name is Xuan Zhang Fa Si, and he wrote in his diary. Um, before he went to India, he planned to go to Lalanda University in India, in northern India, Lalanda University. Uh, that's what he planned. Now let's go back, let's, let's go to Lalanda University. At that time, nine, about 1,000 years ago, the abbot, the head, the leader of Lalanda University was Silabatra. Silabatra. Sila, that means Vinaya, precept. Batra, that means containing or being so virtuous in Sila, in, in, in precepts. So Sila Batra, the name, the Sila Batra was the monk who was the abbot of that temple that 1,000 years ago when Senjang was trying to travel to India. And Sila Batra lived up to about 90 years old. And when he was th from 30, to 90 years old, he had a, a, a very strange sickness. Every now and then, all his skins have warps coming out, and his muscles and, and, and uh, his muscles and bones become very painful. In other words, the whole body was painful, and he had a special kind of eczema on, on the skin, not just on the skin, but in the bones and the muscles, and sometimes the pain can go on for months. And he was struggling, he was, he, but he was, the, the best-known monk at that time in India. He had a lot of disciples. Lalanda University had about a thousand bhikshus and about a thousand disciples in there. And he was lecturing every day. He was building up a lot of merits for himself and for others. He was a, a, a very high-level monk. And yet, he had to go through this suffering. So at about 70, uh, 75, during that one year, he suffered so much that he wanted to commit suicide. He didn't want to live anymore. And he kept on praying. He said, I want to take my life. This is too much suffering for me. I've done all my best as a monk. I have contributed a lot to the Sangha order. And I don't know what I did in my previous life, but I suffer enough in this life. I want to end this life. No more suffering. And Immediately afterwards, he had a, he had a dozed off to his sleep. 
and he had a dream. Avalokitesvara, Samanapatra Bodhisattva, and, um, and uh, Mantri Sri Bodhisattva all came, ascended, descended from the sky and talked to him. Avalokitesvara said, Salabhatra, don't take your life, don't commit suicide. You were a king in your previous life. You killed many, many people in wars. You were waging wars to foreign countries and you killed a lot of them, millions of them, millions of people. Now you have to go through this suffering in your life. And after this suffering is ended, you will be in the pure land, in the Buddha land. And don't take your life. Three years later, there will be a monk from China. He will be traveling to your monastery and you have to educate him. And he will be bringing all the sutras to his own country. You have to wait for him. You have to render all your, your, your erudition, your, your education, what you know, to that monk. He will have to learn from you. So you'll recover for now. And then he woke up. And then a few days later, all this eczema, this bone pain and muscles pains were gone. And three years later, Sun Zhang showed up and he told his story and he was crying at first sight of the monk from China. When he saw the Sun Zhang, when she saw the monk, I have been waiting for you for three years. Avalokitesvara told me that you will be coming. I've been waiting for you. And he was crying and, and he knew that, you know, that's true. That's a, a fact that he will be teaching this monk. So he was a high level monk and yet he had, to, he had to go through all this suffering for 60 years. Off and on. And he even wanted to commit suicide. So don't commit suicide because once you've gone through all this suffering for this lifetime, who knows? You may be reborn in the pure land. You paid off your debt. We all have to pay off our debt. We have a debt to pay off. Remember um, what I said about an example of the general ledger? We are nothing but a general ledger with debits and credits. If you have more credits and debits, you've got to pay. You have liability to pay. If you have more debits and credit, you have a lot of assets. You enjoy yourself. You are the, the, one of the, one of the uh, multi-billionaires on earth. You have good health, you have good families, because you have a lot of debits. Who gave you these debits? Not God. You built them up yourself. You built up all these debits. You did all the good things. You were kind, compassionate, you were helpful, you were tolerable, and uh, you've done a lot of virtuous deeds in this life and in your previous life. You build up all this karma for yourself. You have a lot of debits. Whereas this individual, he has a lot of credit because he what? He squandered away his money. He, was, he always committed sexual misconduct. He was killing, he was hunting, he was fishing. And he was the, very selfish. He didn't want to do any, any uh, charitable work. And he was not responsible for his family. He was drunken. He divorced his wife without reason. And he was engaged in many, many bad deeds. He built up a lot of credits, liability. He had to repay it. Did God give him the, 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 the liability? No, he built it up himself. God would be fair with it if there's a God. God will not give you liabilities. Will not give you, cannot give you the debits. If God can give you all the debits without you suffering, then there will be no one suffering. God is merciful. If, we, if there's a God 
who can give you the best. We don't have to suffer. He already has given it to you. Imagine. Do you see the logic? If God, if that is a God who is all compassionate, He, by His power, would have given you all what you want. You don't even have to go through suffering. Why do you have to go through suffering? You build it up. You build up your own world. You create your own world. So if you educate youngsters by telling them you have to be responsible for your action, your speech, your thought, this would be a better society to live in. So if you give them Buddhist teaching at youth, then they know they have to be responsible. They know they have to be a virtuous person. They know that they cannot be selfish. They know that they have to be compassionate and helpful. Wouldn't that be good teaching for the youngsters? It's not superstition. It's not prostrating to the Buddha and ask for blessing. It's to enlighten yourself. Do you know now? Enlighten yourself. Why do you meditate? Do you meditate to get the, the, the Buddha's sympathy? You meditate to erase the dirt from your mirror. We've got a lot of dirt in our mirror. You want to see a better self? Every morning you look at a mirror, that's me. But your mind mirror has been covered with dirt and dust. You can't see what you're doing. You've got to erase all this dirt and dust to see, to reflect on what you're doing. All right, that's enough for this question. So don't commit suicide. There's still a lot of lunches waiting for you. <laughs> and um, if you go through the suffering, I always tell you, I serve my sentence. When my sentence is up, I'm a free person. If I take my life away, I'll continue in hell, or I'll continue in the animal's realm. And that would be even more difficult for me. Why do I have to be, should be so cruel on myself? I don't want to be cruel on my own body. I don't want, even want to be cruel on other animals' body. Why do you want to be cruel on yourself? If you have to go through the suffering, what you would do is ask for help from bodhisattvas. Instead of thinking about taking your own life, why don't you every day say your prayers? Why don't you every day communicate your mind radio with the grand universal radio of the Buddha, of the Bodhisattva, so that he can render the light onto you? so that he can render the wisdom unto you to resolve your problems, so that he can, like the Buddha of Medicine, to, can convey his blessing unto you to reduce your suffering. Why can't you be more positive? Why can't you be more active? You can't just sit there to wait, wait for, to, for that, to die, or you, can, or you can't even wait to die, you want to kick, take your own life. That's ignorance. So why don't you spend this ignorant time in saying prayers, in saying the sutra that I we chant together, the, the mantra. Remember the mantra? Baisajye, Baisajye, Baisajya, Samukatishwaha. Can you do that? Requesting the Buddha of medicine to shed light on you, to eliminate all your karma, to make you a better person, to eliminate you so that you can render your compassion to others too. That's it for this. Is it possible to believe? Next question. Is it possible to believe and to not believe? Are you contradicting yourself? You are not. Maybe you don't know how to, you are not clear in your thinking. What you're saying is you want to believe in something and yet you do not want to attach to it, right? 
And some people like to believe in a lot of things, a lot of gods. Um, I know of a person, I was surprised when I visited his house, he had Virgin Mary in there, Jesus Christ in there, he had Allah putting in his shrine, he had the Buddha, he had Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, he had the, the General Kwan in there also. He also had a lot of arahats. So his whole house is a house of statues of all kinds of religions. And I asked, oh, when emergency comes, who's going to ask for? <laughs> you don't know which one to ask. Oh, when emergency comes, I just chant all the names. <laughs> so will they be fighting? Fighting to help you? So, you want to believe in it. You want to believe that a certain role that leads you to enlightenment. And you, and you don't want to believe into it. And you want to take another road. So you, you're taking one road. You believe this is the road to go to Rome. And after you walk for a mile, you go into another room another road, which is a detour to somewhere else, and you go back again. So what's the point of this flip-flopping from one road to the other? So what, do you have that much time? We we're waiting for voluntary work here. So if you have that much time to flip-flop certain roads to, to enlightenment, why don't you come here be a volunteer? We have a lot of work for you. Uh, so you want to believe in something and yet not believe. I think what you mean is, I want to believe in it, but I don't want to attach to it. Well, you believe into it, you don't want to attach to it. We're not talking about attachment. Once you believe in something, and you know it is right, you pursue onto it without diverting your road. Um, so, you, is it possible to, to believe and not and yet not believe. I believe in Buddhism. I believe in this is the way. But when I know this is the way, when I get there, I have to throw away my belief. If I still attach onto my belief, I can never, I still have an attachment. If I go to Victoria, if I still hang onto the ship, I never can set my foot on shore. So I want to get away from the ship. It's right, you don't, once you get that belief and you achieve that end, you forsake your belief. You don't attach to it anymore. That's exactly what Diamond Sutra was talking about. Uh, the, the concept, you have to throw away the concept of ego, of beings, of longevity, and also of you and me and, and he and him. Um, this relationship. You have to forego that. And even the method of, of, of detaching that has to go. In, in other words, the emptiness is, is level by level. Level by level, you detach your, 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 your armor of attachment. Right now, you're in your prison, it's all the heavy metals on you. So when you, once you learn something, you detach it, you let it go. You throw away this coat. You throw, away, you, you throw away this armor of, this is very heavy armor to, to, to suppress you. This is the armor of greediness. You throw it away, this is the armor of jealousy. You throw it away, this is the armor of fear. You throw it away, you throw all the heavy stuff away and then you're pure, you're light. You become lighter and lighter. Then you walk faster and faster to that path of enlightenment. So it's, not, it's important to not attach to it.
Thank you for having me here. Your food is amazing. What would you tell to a person who does not believe in reincarnation? If a person does not believe in reincarnation, it, de it depends on the target of that person. If the, that person who believes only in science, because science hasn't proven reincarnation, or that person believes in logic, believes in reasoning, then you have to go that route. If that person believes that if you have studies to support it, then you know that we have a lot of studies that support reincarnation. There's a scholar called Anderson. There's many, many scholars, more than 100 scholars who research into reincarnation, who did a lot of studies of reincarnation. For 30 years, he's been studying reincarnation. He had a lot of clinical reports about reincarnation. Why don't you take those reports out and tell him? Or you give him the website so that he can dig into reincarnation. There's a lot of cases, clinical cases about reincarnation. Many people believe in reincarnation now, even other religions that do not believe in reincarnation. Now they slowly, they, they get to the reincarnation concept now. So for people who does not believe in reincarnation, you tell him the website that you can, they can dig into. Anderson, he already passed away, but he had a whole team of people researching into reincarnations. Uh, when you are conveying the Buddhist message, don't expect to be successful in one lecture. Uh, you are talking to an individual, you really want to convince him, you want to make, want to make sure that after half an hour he will be converted into a Buddhist. I mean, you are, it's too fast. You have to do it slowly. If he's rejecting you, you have to stop. Don't impose your ideas on others if, if, if your idea is not acceptable. Don't say that, oh, I, I talked to you about Buddhism, you don't accept it, I feel angry about it. I don't, I don't feel that you receive me. And you don't need to do that. At the time of the Buddha, one-third of the population, at the time of the Buddha, one-third of the population had never heard about the Buddha's gospel. The Buddha was alive, but in, that, in India, only one-third one had never heard of the Buddha's teaching. But the Buddha was alive. Another one-third have not seen the Buddha, have heard about the Buddha, have not seen about the Buddha. Only one-third have heard and seen about the Buddha, the, or the Buddha's teaching. So, 75% of the people may not have, one way or the other, heard or seen Buddha. It depends on the causes. If, if you have not cultivated the causes of enlightenment, you really have to wait for the chance to come up. So for someone who has the full opportunity to hear the Buddha's teaching, you already have done a lot of work in your previous life. You already have planted the seeds in you. The fact that you are coming to this temple to learn about Buddhism, according to causation philosophy, is not because of one lifetime seed. You must have planted some seeds in your previous life that you are interested in Buddhism that you come today. Nothing comes without a cause. Nothing happened without a cause. There must be a reason that you are coming today. And continue to water your plant. Now your seed is sprouting. You are, you are looking for spiritual enlightenment. You want to stay away from the self-centered lifestyle to the divinity and God-centered lifestyle. You want to stay away from unvirtuous deeds to virtuous deeds. You want to go into the enlightenment path.
Don't waste your time. Don't just let that seed to wither away. Water it. Give sunlight to it. Give fertilizers to it. Let it sprout. Let it sprout. Don't waste your time. You already have done it. You already have that seed. Let it grow. Whether it would grow or it would wither away depends on what you're going to do tomorrow. After you're listening to me, you think, oh, this is impressive, I like it. And then next morning, you, don't, you forget everything about it. And then you go on your own way of being egoistic. You're wasting your time. When you get on this road that you know that's for sure that that's the road you take, consistently walk onto it. 